Hello, ladies. Hello, welcome back. Look at all of you. Welcome back. I am so happy you're here today, and I also want to say welcome to all of you who are here for the very first time at Women in the Word. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for being here today. As I put away the last of my Christmas decor, okay, it wasn't the last of my Christmas decorations. I, I actually still have quite a bit left to put away. What, and what about you? Do you, some of you still have? Yeah. Okay, well, as I was putting away some of my Christmas decorations the other day, I got so excited thinking about Women in the Word starting up again, filled with great excitement because I am crazy about studying the Word of God with a bunch of gals I love. And I I love you guys. I love you. Some of you I know, some of you I don't know, but I want to get to know you. So if you want, please come up and introduce yourself to me. I am Deb Haygood. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. And along with me this semester, we will have Amy Foster, Lynn Kitchens, Shelley Davis, Misty Denman, Vanita Jones, and Kristen Hoff teaching as well. And I know they want to know each of you, so please come up and introduce yourself to all of us and and talk to us. My excitement is also due to the uh, fact that we are studying the book of Revelation this semester. Revelation, the last book in the Bible. It is the final chapter in God's great love story. And that's what the Bible is. It's God's great story of love and salvation and redemption for mankind, for humankind, we say nowadays. It's God's final chapter, and it is a grand finale. It kind of reminds me of uh, fireworks, the finale at the end of the fireworks. Now, I think most of um, us have been to a fireworks display, maybe on the 4th of July, and you're laying back, and you're looking up in the sky, and up go these fireworks. They're filled with color, and they're beautiful, and they're loud, and then you always know when the finale comes because tons of fireworks go up, and they're all shooting off and exploding, and it's so much color and so loud, it takes your breath away. Or maybe it's the end of a symphony, and all the instruments are playing, and it's loud, and it's majestic. Or even the end of our Christmas cantata, when we all stand up and the choir sings the hallelujah chorus. It's overwhelming and it's emotional. It's grand. Revelation is grand. Now, it evokes many varied emotions, all kinds of emotions. You all are probably feeling all different kind of things out there. You talked about it in your small groups. I know I have felt all different emotions over the last six months. Um, It evokes that awe and excitement. Some of you may be feeling that this morning. Maybe you're feeling kind of perplexed and confused and maybe even a little frightening and you're thinking, I better hold on with both hands. This could be a bumpy ride here. Maybe some of you um, find Revelation a little disturbing. It's powerful and it can make us sad, but it also is a book of hope and it can bring us great encouragement. It can bring us great um, comfort. Revelation brings us hope, and there are times um, each of us, I think, will find ourselves as we study our questions, as we look into Revelation, we're going to shout hallelujah. You're just going to find yourself shouting it out in the middle of your home, hallelujah, or maybe even dropping to your knees in humble, prayerful adoration, praising Jesus. For believers in Jesus, Revelation is a book of encouragement and optimism, because we know the ending. Spoiler alert, 
Jesus wins. Jesus wins. So I'm just going to say it right up front. So if you get scared, remember that. Jesus wins. God is in control throughout the whole book of Revelation. And so as we see that intense conflict between Christ and his enemies, I want you to remember this quote that I read. When it seems like evil and injustice are winning, God's victory has already been made certain by Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection to life. When Jesus rose from the grave, he defeated Satan and death and evil. And we're reminded of that by Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. It's on your extra verse sheet. 1 Corinthians 15 says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I had uh, the happy, great pleasure to go to South Florida with my kids and my grandkids and my husband to spend Christmas with my mom and my sister and all of her kids and family and her grandchild and my, one of my brothers, and it was a great time. It was a great time of uh, remembering Jesus, a great time of food and chaos and family. It was great. And we also had very good weather. And so many days, my sister and I and, and the grandkids and everyone, we'd take turns going out on the paddle boards. And she lives on a canal in Key Largo. And so we'd get on the paddle board and we'd paddle through the canals. And this one day, it was actually the day before I was to leave Florida, it had rained in the morning, and then in the afternoon, the sun came out, and the water was totally calm. And so she said, hey, let's get on the paddle boards. And so we did. We ran down and got in the water and got on the paddle boards and started paddling out. And she lives on this canal, other canals, and then there's a cut that goes out to the Atlantic Ocean. And so as we looked out through the cut, we could see that the Atlantic was smooth as glass. That's something they say. There's sometimes that happens in the Atlantic. It's smooth as glass, not even a ripple. And she said, hey, let's paddleboard in the Atlantic. And I'm like, oh, cool. So we start paddleboarding out. And as we go through the cut, I look down into this clear water. And there's the rocks of the cut. And I see a million little fishes. And I see a bigger fish, a snapper, and then a yellowtail, and all kinds of marine life. And as I paddle along past the rocks out into the Atlantic, I continue to look down and I see seaweed waving and then I come to a patch of sand and I can see a hermit crab crawling along the bottom it was beautiful it was amazing and so as I begin to paddle faster and catch up to my sister I look out to this blue Atlantic Ocean and the sun shining down it's sparkling like diamonds and I think this is so beautiful but you have no idea what is beneath the surface unless you slow down and look into the water, and you see the beauty. And I thought to myself, this is like Revelation. I'd been heavy duty studying Revelation, and I was thinking, this is what it's like. I look at Revelation, and I think, what a mystery. It's perplexing. But we are going to look into Revelation carefully this semester, and we're gonna study and come to understand this final story of Jesus Christ in his glory and majesty and power. It is awesome and spectacular. So let's open up to Revelation 1, 1. Today we are going to look at the first chapter of Revelation, and also I'm going to talk about some introductory information and kind of give an overview of the book of Revelation at the end of um, today. <clears throat> I hope that this will help us with our study this semester. 
Now, the first eight verses in the first chapter, they are called the prologue, and many books have a prologue. It tells us what the book is about. And so we're gonna begin with these first three verses. Actually, I'm gonna go to the beginning of verse four. It has much information for us, so I'll look along as I read. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And then verse four starts out, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. So the first thing we see here is the title, and the title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And that word there, revelation, in the Greek, it's very similar. It's where we get our word in English, apocalypse. Apocalypse. Now that kind of can be a scary word, but really it means unveiling or uncovering, revealing. So this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ so that we see and know who he is the conquering, victorious, powerful king, and his plan for judging and removing evil and then reigning on earth as the king of kings. And I love this word revelation. Revelation, it's not riddle. It's not the mystery of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And so that tells me that we can understand what's in this book of Revelation. We can see Jesus. Now, we're not going to understand everything. This is prophecy. There are some little details we may not understand exactly. But we are going to understand much of it and be able to explain much of Revelation. And the subject of Revelation we see here as well, it is Jesus Christ it's Jesus Christ. The big reveal is Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, you all know about reveal parties. Some of you have probably been to some. It's when someone's having a baby, and they invite their family, and they're going to tell them if it's a boy or a girl. And so you cut into the cake, and it's pink. It's a girl. Or you open the box, and the balloons come out, and they're blue. It's a boy. Or maybe even you have a confetti machine, blue and pink, because you're having twins, boy and girl. Um, it's the big reveal. Or some of you may have think of the big reveal as watching those uh, shows on TV where the home improvement happens and the family comes to see the new home and there's something blocking their vision and they move out that barrier and whoa, there's their home and it looks great, the big reveal. But Revelation is gonna tell us the big reveal is Jesus. It's Jesus. And when it says here it will take soon or for the time is near, that might be better translated as quickly because when the end times come, they are going to take place quickly. Now, there's many translations and thoughts on Revelation. In fact, no two people see everything in Revelation exactly the same. And I say that to you so that you can know there will probably be people in your small groups, different times, that you all will disagree on exactly what this means, different opinions, different thoughts, but that's okay because there's gonna be a lot more agreement than there is disagreement as we look at Jesus. We saw the title and the subject, so who is the author? Well, God is the author. It says it's the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And Jesus makes it known through an angel to John. John will write down what he hears and sees. John is the scribe to write down these things that he sees. And what he sees 
is often symbols and images, visions. Now, you might ask, and that's confusing. That's the confusing part, those images. And so we might ask ourselves, why symbols? Why images? Why is that? And I thought that myself. So I began to think about it and to research it, and here's a couple of reasons why. Now, there's many reasons, but I'm going to give you two. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first one is images, visions, symbols, they trigger our emotions. They make a bigger impact than just words. We remember images longer. You all have seen something kind of frightening or beautiful, and you remember that image. Thus, the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words. Images help us to remember. Another reason for symbols and images, it's a secret code. What are you thinking? What does that mean, a secret code? Well, many of the images in Revelation can be explained in other parts of the Bible. Old Testament books, such as Daniel and Zechariah and Ezekiel, Isaiah and Psalms and Exodus. Those of you that were here a couple years ago when we studied Exodus, you're gonna understand a lot in Revelation because you studied Exodus and you're gonna recognize some of these things. And we also see explanations in the New Testament. Paul gives us explanations of the end times in some of his letters. And Peter does as well. And Jesus also tells us about the end times in the Gospels, all through the Gospels. In fact, two whole chapters in Matthew, it's Jesus telling us about the end times. So it takes the whole Bible to interpret Revelation. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit in us who helps us to understand the Bible. And many of us have studied the Bible. Some of you have studied all of the Bible. And so we can understand a great deal of revelation. We can unlock the secret code. You're gonna see many references to the Old Testament and to the New Testament in your study questions. And that is to help you understand the book of Revelation. Is that exciting? I find that exciting to think that in the Bible are the answers to these confusing things in Revelation. So exciting. And then verse three tells us that of a promise. There's a promise here. Those who read and study and take to heart these words of Revelation will be blessed. Will be blessed. A blessing for those who study Revelation. That's you and me, ladies. Now, every semester, I always pray for you all that you will be blessed as you study God's word. And as I was praying before this lesson, I thought, hey, I don't even have to, have to ask God for that because he's already promised it. If you take these words to heart, you will be blessed. And so that is what we have to look forward to this semester. And so who's the audience we're the audience. It says those that are reading and keeping these words, along with the seven churches of Asia. Now, if you were part of the Sunday sermon series in the fall, they talked about the seven churches, and they said they're real churches. They were real cities in John's day in Asia Minor, and that is present-day Turkey. In fact, they went to those cities, and they looked at where they used to be, some ruins now. And so we're going to look at that and study that. And these believers and churches were being intensely persecuted. And Revelation would have been a great encouragement to them. It would have given them hope and strength to persevere. And as we're talking about the seven churches, let's talk a minute about the number seven. 
numbers are, play a big role in Revelation. They are symbols that have a lot of importance, and we're going to see some different numbers over and over again, and one of those is the number seven. Seven. We're going to see it a couple more times just in this first chapter. Seven, this is important, seven signifies completeness, fullness, perfection. Some call it God's number. It's perfection. It's the fullness. So the seven churches can also represent the whole church or body of believers throughout time up to today because we are the church. Now, I want to tell you that word because you're going to see it a lot uh, in Revelation, but the church, that is the body of believers. We are part of the church as as believers. The seven churches were different emotionally and spiritually from each other, just as we are today. So those messages to them is also for us today as believers. So let's go on and look at the next verses, which is going to give us the greeting uh, in this prologue. Let's start with John, I mean, verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. So John greets the seven churches with grace and peace. Those are beautiful words. I don't want to skip over them. Grace, God's life-transforming gift of undeserved favor. And peace, it's, not, it's more than just the absence of conflict. It's also wholeness and well-being. That is God's peace. And these beautiful words from John are also from God, he tells us here. And they're from the triune God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that tells us that the Trinity is involved in the book of Revelation, all three parts of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so first we see God the Father, who is and who was and who is to come. And this title speaks to God's eternal presence. He always existed. And it also speaks to the continuity of the Father's sovereign dealings with mankind. And then next it says the seven spirits from before his throne. That's the throne of God the Father. And most people think seven spirits is referring to the Holy Spirit. It's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We just talked about that with seven, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and they think it could be in reference to the Old Testament, Isaiah 11 too, and that is on your verse sheet. And verse one in Isaiah 11 is talking about the Messiah, Jesus, coming from the line of David. And then verse two says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Do you see the seven descriptions of the spirit there? Of the Lord, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. Seven descriptions of the Holy Spirit speaking of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then we have a reference to Jesus Christ and he is described three ways. Uh, First one, faithful witness. Faithful witness, Jesus Christ is the truth. He is true, he is absolute and trustworthy reality. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth teller always. 
faithful witness, and some think this could also signify his time on earth when he was a faithful witness to the Father. And then firstborn from the dead could signify his resurrection, that next phase. And that word there, firstborn, it is a title of honor. Jesus is the preeminent one raised from the dead, and he is the only true heir. That firstborn is, speaks to the, the heir, the rightful heir, and Jesus is that. And then this third description, ruler of the kings of the earth, this signifies his future role when he comes back to reign with his followers for a thousand years. We call it the millennial kingdom. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a bit. And the book about Jesus is also dedicated to Jesus. We see that in the rest of verse 5 here. And, uh, and so look at that in the middle of verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, who loves us. John starts out by telling us Jesus loves us. Out of his love, he died for us, shedding his blood on a cruel cross to pay the penalty of our sins. And that act of love and sacrifice gives us the opportunity to have a relationship with him in his kingdom. And we're called priests to God the Father. We will be as priests to God. Now, we know that God called Israel in the Old Testament um, as his people. He called them to be a kingdom of priests. We saw that when we studied Exodus. In fact, on your verse sheet, I have Exodus 19, 6. This is God speaking to Moses, and he says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. But we also know that when Jesus came, God's people rejected him. They didn't accept Jesus. And we know that because John tells us that in his Gospel of John, chapter one, verse 11 says, he came to his own, this is talking about Jesus, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are those children of God as we believe in Jesus Christ and accept him and recognize him and believe in him. We are the children of God and we are called God's people and we are his priests. The church today are God's priests. And then we have this benedict, this kind of doxology, sort of this First, uh, praise song. We're gonna see much praise in the book of Revelation. I was surprised as I studied it how many praises are lifted up to Jesus. And here's the first one, and I kind of uh, have given my own uh, description here. Glory to him, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen, amen. And then let's look at verses seven and eight, and these are the last two verses in the prologue, and here we find the theme for the book of Revelation. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Even so, amen. That word behold, it means look in all capital letters with an exclamation point. Look, this is important. Jesus is coming back. He came the first time as a baby in a humble setting with angels announcing to humble shepherds his birth. It's what we just celebrated at Christmas. 
He was rejected by many. He was ridiculed, humiliated, suffered. But he is coming again. And this second time, he is going to be riding on the clouds in glory and majesty and power. And everyone will be able to see him. I don't know how that's gonna be. It's gonna be glorious, but everyone will be able to see him. This is the second coming of Jesus to earth, and this time he's coming and will have that final battle with evil and those who mocked him and ridiculed him and rejected him and set themselves up over him. They will now be wailing and moaning and mourning and grieving. And scripture says, even so, so be it. So be it. Jesus is coming back again, ladies, and this time he's coming back to judge and to defeat all evil and reign forever. He's coming back as judge and conquering king. And then verse eight, when it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, those are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So it would kind of be like us saying from A to Z. And this speaks to the sovereign control and authority over all things, God's power and authority to fulfill and bring to pass this prophecy and revelation. And some of you are thinking, okay, who's speaking here? Is it the Father or the Son? Some of your Bibles may have this written in red, making you think it's Jesus. You know, there's, I've read all different thoughts on this. People think the Father, people think the Son. And as I studied and read it a few days ago, I just thought, I think it's both of them. I think it's both of them saying this in unison because these things can also apply to both God and to Jesus. So let's move on now from the prologue to John's first vision, and it is a vision of Jesus. Jesus Christ we're gonna see here. Look at verse nine. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So here we see that um, John is telling us that he is a fellow believer in Jesus Christ, and he's also a partner uh, with us in suffering. The seven churches were suffering intensely, and even today, it's not easy to be a follower of Jesus. So he is a partner with us in suffering. And like John, we need to patiently endure as well. John is patiently enduring on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled there as a punishment for witnessing and teaching about Jesus. Now last semester we read John's three letters to the churches and they talked uh, to the believers. He talked to them about their relationship with Jesus. He instructed them. He encouraged them, and now he has been exiled to Patmos. And John, as we said before, he is the uh, apostle of Jesus Christ. He's the last apostle living, and he is uh, very elderly here, probably mid-late 80s as he's on this island of Patmos, which is an island in the Aegean Sea. And that is where John receives this spectacular revelation. Just as an aside, I think sometimes we're, we're in those hard and difficult places, um, feeling like we're exiled on the island of Patmos. It's at those times that sometimes God speaks to our heart amazing, wonderful things. So be listening into those hard, hard times. And then verse 10, let's go on and see what happens. 
John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Okay, so he hears this um, loud voice. It sounds like a trumpet and that tells me that it was authoritative, it was commanding and it's important. And when he says he was there in the spirit on the Lord's day, we immediately, or or I did, think Sunday, because we call that the Lord's day. But um, the expression Lord's, uh, meaning Sunday, is never seen in the Bible. So it's more likely that it is referring to the day of the Lord, which we see throughout scripture, and it refers to the end times. And the Holy Spirit has projected John's spirit to experience this vision of future end times. And this voice tells John to write down in a scroll, in a book, what he sees and send it to the seven churches. Now, a scroll is what were their books back then, written on papyrus and um, papyrus and rolled up and unrolled as they read it. That was the scroll. And it was to go to the seven churches that we've talked about, real people in real towns. Next week, uh, we're gonna begin talking about the messages to those churches. We have a map. Love that, we'll have that next week. It's also in your study packet, so be looking at that. And then John turns to the voice to see who is speaking. Let's go on, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. So John turns and in the middle of the seven golden lampstands, he sees Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't look anything like he looked the last time John saw him when he walked on the earth and lived with John and taught John, but somehow John recognizes this is Jesus because he calls him son of man. And that is a phrase, a title that refers to Jesus. It was first used by the prophet Daniel in his vision, and I have that on your verse sheet. Daniel 7.13 says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. This is a reference to the coming Messiah, Jesus And Jesus also used this title, this name, Son of Man, for himself all through the Gospels. In fact, it was his favorite name for himself. It's all through the Gospels, but for time's sake, I just have Matthew 16, 13 on your verse sheet. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And he's referring to himself there. And John would have heard him ask that and say, who do they say? the son of man is. So John sees Jesus and he's dressed like the high priest. He has this long robe with a golden sash around him. And we studied that in Exodus with the tabernacle. And also with the tabernacle, you might remember the seven golden lamps. And so here he sees Jesus in the midst of this. And it says his hair was white as wool. Now this isn't just an off-white. This is a bright glowing white. And we also see this image in the book of Daniel, and there it represents wisdom and age and purity. 
John goes on to say, his eyes like a flame of fire. And now that speaks of judgment. That speaks of penetrating, nothing hidden from his eyes. And then his feet, they were bronzed, refined uh, as from a furnace. So they, that makes me think kind of shiny and glowing from a furnace. And this too can be a picture of judgment because the bronze altar in the tabernacle courtyard, that is where they offered sacrifices for their sin. It also could represent strength and stability, these bronze feet. And then he describes his voice like rushing waters. Now you all can think of a time when you heard rushing waters. Maybe it was a waterfall. Maybe it was rapids in a river. For me, I think of waves crashing upon the rocks in a storm. But however that is, the water is loud and it's powerful and it's awe-inspiring. I think that's what the words of Jesus, what it must have sounded like. And then let's look at verse 16. He goes on to describe him. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. I love that, verse 16, because we see when he says in his right hand, that is a hand of strength and sovereign possession, and he talks about these seven stars, and then look down at verse 20 with me. It says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Is that cool? Jesus tells John what that means. He interprets what those seven stars are, and that encourages me because I think we're gonna be able to understand the book of Revelation. As we look through it, we are gonna have interpretations for the images and symbols that we see. And then he goes on with these two other descriptions here. He says, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Now that uh, seems like would be referring to the word of God. It's the word, and it's the word of God used in judgment. And we see that. We see it in several places, but I have Hebrews 4.12 on your verse sheet. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is powerful and living and used in judgment. And I also have another scripture here. It's John 18, 6, talking about the power of the words of Jesus. Let me give a little background to this. Um, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples and they're walking out and the soldiers come to arrest Jesus and, and they're kind of manhandling all the disciples and arresting and Jesus says, hey, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus says, verse six, Jesus said to them, I am he. And they drew back and fell to the ground. The power of the words of Jesus, I think through them to the ground. The words of Jesus, like a sharp two-edged sword, powerful, it's living, it's judging. And then we see this face like a sun shining in full strength. It's a picture of glory for me, picture of righteousness, picture of holiness. John's vision of Jesus. Close your eyes a second and think about what that vision looks like. It shows the one with authority and power to judge with wisdom and righteousness and purity and strength. In John's response, verse 17, 
When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He fell at his feet. He didn't just bow or kneel down. He fell flat out, laid out like a dead man before him. And I think that response is totally understandable. He is looking at the exalted, glorified Jesus. It's overwhelming. It's awesome. It's a bit frightening. Just reading about this image, this picture of Jesus, makes me want to fall to my knees in humble, fearful worship. And you know, I think it's a good thing for me to meditate on this picture of Jesus and be moved to humble worship as we see the exalted Lord. So what does Jesus do next? John's fallen out behind him. Verse 117b says, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. What does Jesus do? He reaches out and touches John, and he says, do not be afraid. What love and compassion we see here. This is Jesus, exalted and glorious and overwhelming and a little terrifying, and what we see here is his love comforting John. And he goes on to say that he is living, he is sovereign, he has authority over death. And then verse 19, we see Jesus instructing John once more. He says, write, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to to take place after this. And this verse is really cool because this verse 19 is the outline for the whole book of Revelation. When it says, write the things you have seen, that's this vision that we just talked about in chapter one. And when it says, write the things that are, that's the messages to the seven churches. And those are chapters two and three in Revelation. And we're gonna be looking at those beginning next week. You're not gonna wanna miss it, so come back. Uh, And then when it says what will take place later, those are the future end time events, and that's Revelation chapters four all the way to the end, chapter 22. And so now we're gonna take a few more minutes um, to talk about a little more detail on this outline of Revelation. So first, um, get out your little sheet of definitions. This is gonna be important. You're gonna wanna keep it with you. And we're also gonna put up the timeline. So let's look at that. All right. So we see here on the timeline, first thing is the church age. Do you see that? In between the resurrection of Jesus and the rapture. That is called the church age. Now what does that mean? Well, the church age, um, that is the time from the resurrection of Jesus until the rapture, and this is the time of the church. It's the believers in Jesus Christ. We make up the church, and so we are part of the church age. We're right there in the midst of the church age. From the resurrection to the rapture. So what is the rapture? Well, on your first sheet, it says, rapture of the church is the imminent moment when Jesus Christ meets his church, those who have died and those alive, in the air to give them new eternal bodies and their rewards, ushering them into heaven with him. The rapture, which can take place in any moment, occurs to remove the church from the tribulation of God's wrath. 
So the rapture is that time Jesus is gonna come in the air. We see a lot of this in Thessalonians. We see it explained. He's just gonna come in the air. He's not gonna come all the way to earth and he's gonna have a loud command. I think he's gonna say come. And those believers in Jesus that have died, now their souls are with Jesus already, but their bodies are gonna come up out of the grave. They're gonna get a new heavenly body up with Jesus in the air. And then all of us that believers alive on the earth, we're gonna be taken up in the air to be with Jesus on to heaven. And this is gonna happen before the tribulation begins, the seven years of tribulation. Okay, so let me say right here that there are different ways to interpret Revelation. Four main views, and the view that we will be studying, we're using the futurist view. And that simply means that we believe that everything in this book of Revelation uh, is referring to true events that will literally take place in the future, the futurist view. Now, not everybody uh, interprets everything in Revelation the same, even though they might hold the futurist view. For instance, some see the rapture taking place in the middle of the tribulation. Um, we call that mid-tribulation um, position. And then some believe that the rapture will be at the end of the tribulation. So that's the post-tribulation rapture position. And I just said that we at uh, Christ Chapel believe in the tribulation happening before the tribulation, the rapture happening before the tribulation. So we would be holding a pre-tribulation rapture position. And that's what Christ Chapel believes. And I just want to say right here that we are going to be teaching along with Christ Chapel's doctrine for the church. So nothing we say will be against that. We are going to be aligned with the doctrine in everything that we teach here. So we believe in that pre-tribulation rapture. So what's the tribulation on your verse sheet? It says, the seven years that take place on this earth directly after the rapture. This is the time when those who have rejected Christ are placed under God's violent wrath and the reign of the Antichrist. This was when he will be reigning. But those people that have rejected Jesus, they're going to be given one last chance to believe in Christ before his second coming. So there are people during the tribulation time that come to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So if you want to put up the timeline again, you can look and see that seven-year period tribulation between the rapture and the second coming. This is the time um, that God's judgment is going to pour down on the earth, and it comes in three waves. First, the uh, seven seals, and the seventh seal opens up to the seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet opens up to the seven bowls. And this is great wrath and misery poured down on the earth. And this is the main action that is taking place in Revelation chapters 4 through 19. And then in the middle of those judgments, we're going to see some chapters, we call them interludes, that are going to explain some other information, some people, some things some, that are going on during the tribulation. And these chapters are fascinating and they're very relevant for us today. Uh, one example of something is in chapter 12, we're going to learn more about Satan, his story, the arch enemy of Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the tribulation, we have the second coming, and that's when Jesus Christ is coming back. Like we said, riding on the clouds, he's going to come all the way to earth, and we will be coming with him. Believers that are in heaven with him will come down for this final battle at Armageddon. It's a battle uh, where the uh, evil 
is defeated and the Antichrist, which, by the way, Antichrist is never used in the book of Revelation. He's called the beast and the false prophet, the beast and the false prophet will be judged and conquered and thrown into the lake of fire and then, and Satan will be bound and then begins the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Jesus. And on your verse sheet it says, the thousand year promised kingdom in which Jesus Christ reigns as king on earth, resurrects the Old Testament saints and the tribulation martyrs, and he restores Israel. He will be reigning from Jerusalem, and he gives ruling authority to all the saints. You see that on the timeline there, the thousand-year millennial kingdom. At the end of that time, very interesting, Satan is released. Jesus releases Satan, and he goes about, once again, trying to deceive those uh, children, those offspring, the ones that were born during this thousand-year reign. And it's hard to believe, but some will want to follow Satan. Even though they've been living in the peace and prosperity under the reign of Jesus Christ, they will want to follow and align themselves with Satan. And so Satan tries to have one last revolt, and boom, it is quickly squashed, and there's the great judgment. Satan is thrown eternally into the lake of fire, separated forever from God. And then God brings forth the new heaven and the new earth. This is called the eternal state. And he brings forth the magnificent new heaven and new earth where the curse will no longer be present. And we will live in perfection and peace forever. We will be living face to face with Jesus himself for all eternity. It is beautiful, wonderful, so why study Revelation? Why study it? Well, we are gonna study Revelation not for head knowledge this semester. We're not gonna study it to satisfy our curiosity. We are gonna look into Revelation to see Jesus. We're gonna see Jesus. We're gonna see Jesus as the conquering, powerful, slain Lamb of God, as the Lion of Judah, as the glorious victor, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Just as I looked down from my paddleboard into the clear water to see the glorious beauty underneath the surface, in Revelation, we're gonna look for Jesus. Look for Jesus, see Jesus, and be filled with awe and worship and hope. And I hope that we will be compelled to humbly praise him and adore him. Look for Jesus, see Jesus, and be confident in these crazy, chaotic, turbulent, scary times. Be confident in Jesus Christ, the powerful, sovereign, victorious conqueror who is coming back. He's coming back. And I pray that we will be motivated to tell others about Jesus because Jesus is our only hope. He is our only hope. And see Jesus and be blessed. Be blessed. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, what an amazing final chapter to your great love story this book of Revelation is. Lord, we love you. We wanna know you more. We wanna see Jesus in all his glory. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give us insight and understanding as we look into this book of Revelation and see Jesus. Lord, I 
Thank you for all these ladies that have come out today. I pray that you would bless them as you have promised and that they would come back as we study this book of Revelation and that we would praise you, adore you, walk closer with you evermore because of these words that we read in the chapters of Revelation. Thank you, Father. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.